All right, everybody, and welcome back to the Transnatural Perspectives Podcast. This is the show where we put nature in focus while cultivating conversations on society and culture across environments and landscapes. And this is your host, Josh Bennett, back again, recording live here in Oslo, Norway. And welcome back, everybody. It's been a while as things are getting pretty busy in life, busy in my life, busy for... I guess a lot of people, as there's been a lot of adjustments this summer, it's all types of things that seem to kind of crash together right here at once. COVID restrictions were lifted back in April here in Norway, and all of a sudden, everybody wants to come back to Norway again. So my life as a tour guide has gotten immensely busy. Big adjustments, big expenditures of energy, considering that the last few years were relatively stagnant here in the nature-based tour industry i guess you could call it so anyways we're adjusting we're working on it uh as well started studying again yep that's right the work is picking up as uh, i was kind of abruptly accepted into a master in social work program so i'm working on my master's degree in social work now that's right my second master's degree um and it was somewhat of a surprise um uh, not, not that I didn't know I was applying for a school, but that I didn't know I would be getting in so quickly and getting started. So it's kind of a surprise wave of things to do. Um, I am on the clinical track. So I'm aiming to get out of this as a psychotherapist, taking my outdoor and experiential education, social science background, and fusing it together with therapeutic practice to do something in the realm of nature-based therapy so that's pretty cool and very exciting and i'm really looking forward to getting more practitioners in that field on the podcast but whoa a lot going on on top of that i recently attended the ninth international adventure therapy conference and the third uh gathering of adventure therapists in europe conference here in norway and that was amazing week meeting and learning uh, from nature-based therapists from all around the world. And it was really inspiring, informative, and educational way to start my journey here into eco-social work. Um, and I even got to bring the co- podcast uh, to the conference uh, and make a presentation all about the podcast there. So we might even have some new listeners tuning in. And if so, you are very welcome. And I definitely hope to be getting some of those new connections that I made there on the podcast soon as well Uh, that is of course when i'm back to recording new episodes just working on ironing out some of my new existence here but we'll just keep them coming as they come and hopefully get back onto a regular schedule soon nonetheless let's get on to today's episode today on the show i got a recent conversation uh that i had with the on the future of friedusleif with a group of students from the new Norfree Master's Program. That's the Nordic Master in Friluslev Studies Program. So I got together a couple of my friends here uh, that are part of that program, and we're here to talk about it. And just to give everybody a little overview of what the Nordic Master in Friluslev Studies Program entails, the program intends to add Nordic perspectives and values to the field of outdoor studies worldwide by generating and disseminating research knowledge about the significance of human nature relations and development of green lifestyles, particularly in the countries of um, Sweden, Iceland, and Norway, or at least that's where the program takes place. So I got a panel of three students from the program, not only to discuss their experiences in the program, but 
really to discuss the current state of free loose leave in Nordic countries and potential for implementation around the world. We talk things, talk about different subjects like what is the Norfree program and its uh, predecessors like the TEOS program. We talk about creating a trans-Nordic model of free loose leave, the internationalization free loose leave. What is free loose leave exactly? Progressive perspectives and pedagogy. Is spending time in nature enough to build empathy? The role of sustainability in free loose leave? some of the divisions between deep ecology and eco-philosophy, and we get into a really big discussion about free loose leave, tourism, and sustainability, because, I mean, what's going to happen when you get a bunch of different tour guides together that are interested in this kind of stuff? And we're going to round it out with a really nice talk on free loose leave and health in the peri-urban landscapes across the Nordics. That's pretty exciting, and some also place-responsive pedagogy that goes in with that. And after all, also the disc- the future of the Norfree program and free loose leave in general. So if you are somebody that uh, enjoys geeking out on, uh, if you're a free loose nerd like myself, I think you're going to enjoy it because I know I really did. Um, so, uh, so everybody, uh, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this amazing conversation with my friends Bertha Dauber, Niels, Rasmussen and Benjamin Kroger. And I'll see you all on the other side. Thanks everybody for coming on the Transnational Perspectives podcast today. Thanks so much for having us. We're yeah. excited. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so who, who, let's see, just everybody introduce yourselves a little bit before we get started. You know, what's your name and uh, where you're from? And I don't know, I'm not sure. I, I guess we have people that are in different parts of the program right now. Yeah. So maybe just give us, a, give us an idea about that. Yeah, okay. I can just jump in. Yeah. Um, I'm Birte and I am from Germany. I have a background in teaching, uh, went through an entire teacher education there and worked a bit as a teacher and just kind of developed some questions about sustainability and how to work more with nature and kind of developed a desire to just really go more into that direction. And luckily I had applied for a sabbatical and then I discovered this um, this program and just applied and yeah, and then off I went on a totally different journey. And I, I also got a second year to actually finish um, the masters uh, second year free from my job so that was very yeah very interesting journey it's been so far all right so they, you got you got pulled out of the field and yeah <laughs> into a back to being a student but also yeah. out in the field i think mm. so and then who else do we have here today um my name's niels um i'm half danish half french but i've been living in norway for the last five years oh wow um studying Friluftsliv in Bur. I have a, a bachelor's degree in Friluftsliv. Uh, and then I was done with that. And just as I was getting done, COVID happened. Mm. Uh, so there weren't really any jobs. <laughs> uh, and I planned on doing a master's anyway. And I was I saw the North Bay Masters and I was like, well, this gets me traveling a bit, moving around, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully. And then, um, yeah, so I signed up. So, yeah. And now yeah. I'm still in Bur. <laughs> Still in boo. And yeah. Uh, yeah, and COVID, yeah, of course. I think COVID, COVID was a time where, well, still is a time, depending on who you ask, uh, of, uh, 
you know, I think this podcast also kind of came out of that time, you know. Mm. Yeah. Sure. But so much nice has come out of it, though. Like, that is very just wonderful, actually, how people became creative. Yeah, it's least. interesting. Yeah, and and yeah, and, and I have a lot of questions later too about just how it is like doing doing these things and studying kind of under under the veil of COVID. Mm. <laughs> before before we get into that, let's get down to uh, Benjamin. Yeah, I'm Benjamin. I'm uh, also from Germany, from uh, southern Germany, um, which oh, wow. is a little bit unrepresentative for the diversity that the program has. That there are two Germans <laughs> in, <laughs> in the yeah. um, I have two passports, uh, so it's okay. Oh yeah, <laughs> you can count for two people. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, <laughs> I'm, I have a background in uh, sports therapy and health uh, from a bachelor's, and I've worked in uh, Norway during that time for for a while uh, through an internship on a husky on a husky farm, and uh, that's kind of where I also dabbled into all the free of sleep stuff, and then noticed that you could study free of sleep for a master, and that's. Uh, yeah, <laughs> when basically the decision happened uh, to to go to this program. All right. So, yeah. So, I mean, already it sounds exciting, right? We got a lot of people from a lot of different places around the world. I mean, yeah, okay. We have two Germans in the conversation <laughs> right now, but, you know. You're also, oh, yeah. The program is more diverse than... Yeah, how many uh, in general? I, oh, actually, for our, for the audience' sake too, because I'm sure I'll do a little introduction before the conversation. But uh, and I, and I can imagine there's probably debate within the group too. But what is this master's degree actually? Because it's, it's you know we we know about outdoor education, of course. We know about you know nature based pedagogies, and this this is lots of stuff we talk about here. But can you tell us just a little couple of ideas about what this master's degree is specifically? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's actually a bit more, it's a bit wider than just a pedagogical perspective on mm. nature and Friluftsleaf, but it's, um, it looks at Friluftsleaf from the different countries perspective uh, that are a part of it. So that's Sweden, Norway and Iceland. Mm -hmm. And then topic wise, it covers a pedagogical perspective, but also philosophical health perspective and tourism uh, perspective. I think these are the four kind of pillars, mostly. Yeah. And then I mean, and then always including a kind of uh, country specific perspective also on Friluftsleaf. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's maybe maybe also like a part of this master that makes it quite unique is that we mm. travel from country to country uh, per semester. We start in Sweden and then now, uh, well, I, I'm in the first, uh, like, I'm in the second year now from the master's program, or uh, can you say that? Like, second no, you semester. Guys are, you guys second semester, semester, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, I'm in the second semester, the other guys in the fourth semester where they're um, writing the master's thesis. Um, so I'm in Norway now uh, after the first year, uh, first semester in Sweden, and then I'll, uh, I'll go to Iceland uh, next semester and then back to some or somewhere where I want to write my master's thesis, and you guys have already, already gone through that. Yeah. yeah, we haven't been to Sweden, no. sadly, though, at True. least not with the program. I, I spent some time in Sweden during that time because my family has a holiday house there. So I was privileged enough to spend some time in Sweden, but not in Stockholm, sadly. So, mm. Mm, OK. And but the program usually goes there. But was that? Yeah, the, like the base idea of the program is that you spend one semester studying at GIH in Stockholm mm -hmm. uh, and then you go Second semester, you go to Bö and Telemark and study at USN and partly at NEHO in Oslo, mm. NIH. And then after that, third semester, you go to Hollar University in Iceland for one semester. Uh, and then 
uh, fourth semester, you can basically be anywhere you want to write your master's, right? Right on. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's interesting because, I mean, it, it, this probably sounds really exciting to a lot of people, and it is. And I mean, I, I come from a background myself where uh, I ended up in Norway because of a similar kind of program. Yeah, I think it's a kind of like a sister program. Yeah, I like at least yeah. I mean, our program is is sadly kind of um, uh, rest in peace now. Yeah, uh, I think that might be our future as well. Yeah, um, and, and that's what's really interesting about this. So the program I'm referring to um, is the the transcultural European outdoor studies program, yeah. the TIOS program. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of similar. We did we we I guess we were a bit broader in the in the landscape because we were in Germany in Marburg. Uh, yeah. We were in uh, Norway in Oslo at NIHO, and then we were also in the UK. So it was more like comparative of different um, outdoor perspectives, outdoor mm -hmm. educational styles, nature, human connections across these three different countries. So, and Free Rusliv was one of those uh, aspects mm -hmm. that we studied. And that's the one that I went on to continue to focus on. And mm -hmm. that's why I'm still here in Norway today. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's what's really interesting about your program is that it's very specific. Um, yeah. It's very yeah, specific so, in Free Rusliv. And Free Rusliv, but still looking at different perspectives within Free Rusliv, like comparing the three countries or looking at, not necessarily comparing, but getting three different perspectives that can mm -hmm. be because Scandinavia and the Nord, like the Nordic countries, are very similar in a lot of respects, but there's also a lot of differences you don't necessarily know, and also in the way you approach nature and you approach philosophy in the different countries is actually quite varied. And it's funded by the Nordic Council, which mm. is um, an organization that is very interested in sustainability. I feel like they're also funding a lot of other really cool projects. And um, and I think the overarching goal is to create this Nordic model. Um, and yeah, that, there we are diving right into the topic because it's kind of these Scandinavian countries, of course, they kind of portray themselves as striving towards sustainability and being very sustainable, although there are still a lot of paradoxes on that matter. And um, so, yeah, the, there's an effort at least to kind of come together and, and figure some things out. And that is very exciting, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah, that sounds very exciting. And, and I, I definitely want to get into that because that's something that we talked about a lot, even back when I was studying. I mean, it's still just a big conversation. I'm glad that it's growing. Uh, in general, I mean, I think that it's interesting that free loose leave, especially in the past couple of years, and uh, especially during COVID, we actually saw like a lot of kind of uh, international uh, press on free to sleeve, yeah. um, ending up in like the Guardian and over in, in the, you know, I think, you know, New York, all over the place. Mm. People are talking about free to sleeve and they're also talking about the Higa and all this kind of yeah. stuff. Um, so, I mean, so so it's kind of becoming a, a bit popularized outside of the Nordic countries now um, as this kind of uh, way of, you know, getting back to nature and health and wellness and maybe even becoming a bit commercialized uh, outside of the Nordic countries. So, I mean, before we get into all these kind of uh, more nuanced topics, I'd just like to hear a little bit of your perspectives on what is free to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> a highly debated topic i'm sure oh yeah <laughs> any well, uh any unique perspectives on this or reflections perhaps as you've been like deep into it now 
I I just um, well as I'm writing my master's thesis, I was talking to some experts working in teacher education mm-hmm. um, with a focus on Friluftsliv, and I asked them mm-hmm. what Friluftsliv is to them, and um, they had a very wide idea of what it is. Really, what they said is just it's time spent in nature. It yeah. can it could be anything like sitting by your hütte in the sun. It, mm-hmm. That could be Friluftsliv. Um, and I think to me, it's, it, I would agree, it's being out there, being, being in nature and spending quality time with a mm-hmm. friend, <laughs> with nature. Yeah. yeah. I would, there, there's like so many different definitions and people are like trying to define their freely for something. And so, mm-hmm. so it's a little, little bit hard. Uh, also in like academic papers, I feel like there's different, the, if you want to write about this, you will use this uh, definition. Yeah. Uh, if you want to write about something else. Um, you'd use another one, but um, I feel like uh, adding to Beatus, which I think uh, is might just encapsulate it quite well. Um, I would kind of um, put put some barriers where where I don't think, uh, but this is also debated. But I don't think that um, like highly motorized uh, stuff uh, would mm. count, uh, count as fail of sleep if you like go snowmobiling or something like that in the. Um, you're triggering. You're triggering the snowmobile people now. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I think and the, the, and the jet ski people. Yeah. The motorized Philipsleu <laughs> is highly debated. Mm. But, yeah. Um, yeah. And also, yeah, that, I think that's true. That is. A I big... think competition is also something that might not really. Uh, fall that's into true. The I think that for me also would be more of a sports um, yeah. kind of context. If you try to differentiate those two, mm. then then that's. And then. Different, I'll... Yeah. And then, of course, there's always the debate around pedagogies when Friluftsleve is kind of becoming a tool, a method, an approach in pedagogies. Then it's kind of it's difficult to take the original Friluftsleve de- definition, which kind of pins but it to that's the problem. recreation. There, right? there isn't an original Friluftsleve definition. Yeah, there's one that's made by the Norwegian government, but it's fairly vague so they don't step on anybody's toes Mm. sort of thing do you you have like a can do you have like a um, a synopsis of the actual norwegian government uh definition that's i can i can probably find it yeah just you could just tell us about it or yeah if you have it nearby there is one that is always cited because there was a um um how do you say that in english wait meddling from the Stortinger, uh, yeah, like a message, like a message from the, the government. It's a governmental report on Friluftslu yeah. that had the definition. And then in the, the semester in Sweden, they also put, they showed us the official definition in Sweden, which they opened quite wide to make it more accessible for pedagogies. Yeah, we're getting into deep, like free loosely of nerd talk now. <laughs> Um, I guess, but I, I, while you're looking that up, I just want to say, you know, because as a tour guide, I have to, I'm out here in Oslo kind of riding around on bikes and hiking around telling tourists what free loose leave is every day. And I think, I think you really hit it there uh, in, by, you know, just saying it, it, it's being some, some broad range of different things you can do just mm. basically being with the nature yeah but then of course people are going to debate is being in the nature or is it being with the nature we feel, <laughs> yeah. you feel alive or sitting mm. in front of you enjoying mm. good weather or it can be much more like 
like getting unscathed through a snowstorm in Hadangavita, that also makes you feel alive, but in a very different way. But yeah. I, I always like that definition. And yeah. then, of course, people's kind of relationship with nature can be super different. Mm -hmm. Just going through the program and um, learning about wild pedagogies, which have some really alternative views on on pedagogies but also nature that made me think completely different about nature and more as actually a friend mm -hmm. rather than an area or an arena or anything and I, I right now I really like to entertain that idea of nature as a partner maybe if I want to be uh, go back to teaching and seeing it more as my my colleague or my co-teacher or something I think that is super interesting and just yeah want to yes. see what that's going to do to teaching also Mm -hmm. uh, the same happened to me also in uh, through the Sweden semester, I think, where uh, we talked a lot about like place, place responsibility and place relations. And it was so interesting to after like we're already like quite outdoorsy people before, but um, hearing and reading about that and like uh, like getting to know those perspectives um, mm. really kind of changed changed my nature's perspective perspective in that um, realm a lot. Um, to seeing it like like as you said as well like not, not that much as an arena but really like something that you can uh, relate to mm. place responsiveness you mean right yes place yeah. responsiveness yeah, mm. yeah it's uh it's it's it's, it's there's this old quote and I, I i don't even i'm just like paraphrasing but one of my favorite like core free loose sleeve thoughts that i have in my head is just you know uh you know getting out into nature will cause uh, event, spending time in nature with nature will eventually uh, create, uh, you know, nature connections and nature hmm. connections will create empathy and then empathy will turn it, you know, you see yourself, you identify with nature, you empathize with nature and therefore you care. Mm. And I just really love this idea, this, this process, like literally just getting exposure and spending time. Uh, you're going to identify with things. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm writing my master's about, actually. Mm. Mm, that sounds... That <laughs> Nurturing sounds... care for nature and teacher education. And yeah, I think it's... I do agree, but I think it's also a bit of a dangerous thought to be like, oh, if you just be... If you just go out and mm -hmm. to be in nature, you will just develop care for it. And then you will also kind of adopt a behavior that is more fair to nature more sustainable and so on but we see everywhere that we are struggling with that and that it is perfectly possible to care for nature whilst destroying it and that is just super i don't know it's super interesting i think it's a big problem and yeah we probably should talk about these paradoxes more because these are the things that we have to kind of dissolve and finding ways to do that and finding ways to actually do a free love sleep that is sustainable because a lot of the free love sleep that we do and that we have in Norway especially is not sustainable is one actually the third unsustainable things that you can do in your free time or mm -hmm. anywhere yeah. It's uh yeah so let's so let's 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 uh let's uh let's package this a little bit because we were gonna get into this uh, theme that runs through the Norfree program which is sustainability which makes me really happy to hear uh, because that means I think some of uh, a lot of the a lot of the research and 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 kind of axes that we were grinding back in the TOS program seem to have paid off because oh, now nice. there's a much more focus on sustainability um 
so 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 how how does sustainability and we can get into some more individual topics but how does that play a role in general in the Norfree program like are, are your classes focused on sustainability is this like a big thing that people are talking about all the time uh, mm -hmm. is there opposition to this i, I want to hear about it how does this work <laughs> in the program um by the way, I can send you the document that has the definition, but it's a 118 pages long document. So I didn't find it now. <laughs> That's a long definition. Yeah. I have yeah. it in one of my um, I have it somewhere, writings, but yeah. But yeah. yeah. But I think sustainability wise, I think it's a it's an overarching subject, but it's also at least made me aware of how broad a subject sustainability is. Like we looked at pedagogies and how they can be sustainable towards nature. We looked at the health benefits of nature and planting trees in cities and had living like peri-urban outdoor life was a topic in Sweden um, and how that benefits health. And that's also sustainable because if people feel better and the more healthy, they're going to like, and if they realize nature is what's making them healthy, that's going to make sustainability towards nature. And we also in yeah, we had the pedagogies and we had more philosophical approaches, which also come into sustainability. In Iceland, we had nature-based um, tourism. tourism and mm -hmm. sustainable tourism and all that. And what's the definitions here and what makes it sustainable? And is it like, because you can have a sustainable activity and then you can fly in people from halfway across the world and <laughs> it's not sustainable anymore, right? Yeah. So you have these paradoxes within Friluftsliv and you also have something we looked a lot about in prison which comes again here but less in the masters than it was in the bachelors is just looking at the amount of stuff we use in Fredo like all the gear all the clothes the newest Gore-Tex crap and it's super bad for the environment a lot of it right um so it's it's an overarching topic for sure in the Norfolk yeah. program but, but a very that... broad amount like a lot of different ways of looking at sustainability as well mm. and i think it's not like nowhere is it actually set in the title or anything mm -hmm. it but i think it's brought into the program by the teachers on the one side because they have they are making an effort and they are just super inspiring and interesting people that that are also working towards these issues that are important in our time right now but also our students the people that are attracted to the program turn out to be very interested in sustainability and kind of bringing back the conversation again and again to it because I feel like yeah we're just a bunch of people irritated by some of these paradoxes and that's why we're here we want to make a difference yeah. and uh, I think or at least because because I'm in Norway at the moment I think the most impactful uh, course about the uh, sustainability although it is a theme th throughout um uh, usually all the courses is the um, talking about eco, eco philosophy with mm. uh, mm. uh where there's like a lot about the history of the of the environmental movement mm. um and deep ecology deep ecology yeah exactly um and how that formed and how there's different splits as well and uh, how uh, i think Aniness is somebody who is really was really influential on, on our, one of our teachers um yeah. And uh, yeah, he's really like put on the mission mission of him on himself to try to yeah go in his footsteps and uh, maybe how do you say that like like bring those together because because the environmental movements are quite divided uh, in, in different different areas or seem to be um, where because it's so philosophical and everybody like kind of um, 
has their own uh, interpretation of it, uh, which doesn't really help the whole movement because because then you're kind of just dividing it a little bit. Mm. What um, what what kind of divisions do you see uh, in 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 the free loose leave movement? Um, in the deep ecology movement. Oh, the deep ecology movement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As it would be would be those. There's the, we've seen like uh, or we've read a lot of papers and like discussions um, between people like was it I think Niels Farland um, mm. and <laughs> take notes everybody if you're listening take notes He's got a lot of homework to do from that. straight up <laughs> <Yeah>. auditorium <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then eco eco feminists um, that criticize the um, the environmentalism of those people for being very uh, maybe chauvinistic or mm -hmm. male centered. Um, where uh, concerns about uh, fem feminist fe feminist struggles are not brought to uh, brought into it, um, or where it's more like a white upper class ma male struggle to do. Um, that's I think one of the main divisions that uh, that I've I've, I've noticed uh, throughout the last couple couple of months. Mm. Wow, well, you're definitely more in that. Yeah, I've read right now. Way too, way, way too much the semester, <laughs> like I remember yeah. from last year, but yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think. I mean, there's a lot of diff diversity in, in opinions and how you approach what sustain sustainability can be and what Flewslu is. We had a big debate in uh, in Iceland because I have a pencil case that's made out of seal skin, for example. Mm. Mm. And somebody commented on about like, oh, how can you use something made of seal skin? I was like, it's like super sustainable. What are you talking about? Um, and I showed them a movie called Angry Inuk, which I recommend. It's on Amazon Prime, I think. And it's Very like super, super interesting. It's about the Inuit community in uh, northern Canada and the effect the ban on seal skin trade in Europe had on them. Uh, and you had big like green organizations like Greenpeace and stuff like using tons and tons and tons of money lobbying against this. And they actually ruined like the livelihood of an entire population group within Canada and Greenland. Like that are actually living in harmony with nature. They are also, of course, using it to a degree that supports them, but they're not, yeah, explo exploiting it. No. And I, yeah, that is that was a super interesting discussion on yeah. that film. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that movie changed <laughs> a lot of minds. Mm. Um, and I know. My sister actually wrote her, she was at the European School for Human Rights and wrote her master's on uh, how this was a human rights issue that this ban on seals can trade completely like their economy is like gone to bonkers and like, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it, 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 it's tough because there's so many angles you can kind of like approach these, uh, this, yeah. these issues from. So that's what's important is that we kind of talk about these things and see them from all these different angles because a lot of people wouldn't even conceive that the 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 seal trade for this community you know that's probably very rural and doesn't have a lot of access to any other resources that's kind of like the main resource uh they uh, they wouldn't consider this to be like a human rights issue necessarily uh but but it can be um greetings everyone this is your host, Josh here. Happy to say that the Trans Natural Perspectives podcast is brought to us by listeners like you. If you find value in this show and you want to help it grow, please consider sharing this podcast, writing a review, and supporting the show. 
Head on over to transnaturalperspectives.com to learn more about how you can contribute as a monthly subscriber, as a one-time donor, as well as check out our blog. I invite you to contact me with any ideas you have for the show. If you'd like to be a guest, if you need a writer, or any other tips on further funding opportunities. I'd really love to hear from you. It keeps this show going, keeps me going. And with that being said, thanks for listening. So I, I see that, I see, I, I'm just looking at kind of like the list of like the different titles of the classes that you have. And I'm going to try to like work this in a little bit for those people who are listening. They, they hear us talking about a lot of these very spicy and amazing and intriguing issues. But let's put this in like a little bit of context. So you said you were in Iceland, uh, you were dealing with nature and tourism. Uh, mm. And I mean, yeah, you touched a little bit on that before, but what kind of, um, you know, when it comes to free loose leave and sustainability, what kind of free loose leave activities are you talking about there or free loose leave (laughs) practices, let's say, are you talking about there in Iceland? And do you see this having some conflicts or maybe some benefits uh, in like the ecotourism scene there? (laughs) For sure. I mean, if you look at such a, integrated part of Friluslu is hiking. Mm-hmm. Hiking can damage nature so badly. Yeah. If it's not, if it's there's suddenly you get mass tourism into it and you get like, you have problems in Norway and you have it in Iceland where there's so many people walking to places that you have to build like asphalted tracks and keep people on it because it's damaging made nature so bad. The amount of people and people walking and not knowing where to walk and where not to walk and mm-hmm. like people who maybe don't come from like I think Scandinavian countries and especially maybe Norway it's taken a bit forgiven mm-hmm. in the culture that you know how to behave in nature where you can walk what you what's damaging to do and when you have a lot of tourism coming in and also people who maybe grew up like this and think they know a lot of what where to do and what not to step on mm-hmm. um, and you have these people coming in and then it's it, it's become a big chaos and you have to suddenly manage nature and manage philosophy and put barriers up and you can come look at this and you have to pay here and like and it limits nature in a in a weird way that's like so just hiking and going to places is can be incredibly damaging yeah but i think there are two things that are important here to contextualize it a little bit and one of them is that the icelandic nature is very very vulnerable for mm. being um for erosion mm. Uh, just because there are very little trees that could hold everything together. Also, grass landscapes, we learned, are very important for that. Um, but yeah, erosion is kind of the, the major threat. And then when you go hiking in these vulnerable um, areas, obviously, you will contribute to the erosion. And then the other thing that I think is important to bear in mind is that tre- uh, tourism is a relatively kind of new phenomenon. And with that, also this nature tourism with is the flagship for Icelandic tourism. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think traditionally Icelandic people are just used to being in the nature and working in it, like with just looking after their sheep. That's just like a really big thing. Um, and just being in that, in that nature. So I think this, kind of idea of going into nature in your free time is rather new to a lot of them but there are of course also groups that do yeah 
something that you would call fleet asleep quite extensively and that are extreme in in the way they approach us and like crossing uh, central iceland and everything and we we were lucky enough to have two amazing ladies in our uh, program who we could learn a little bit about and who showed us around and um yeah who, yeah. who had worked as nature guides um before so yeah. yeah, so there is that has been coming up, but it's it's uh, rather new still, I think. I think I think you tapped in on a very interesting topic that a lot of people take for granted a lot of time, which is the fact that tourism itself is quite a new thing. Mm. Ideas like free time and leisure are <laughs> quite new ideas, actually. I mean, this is a lot of. Uh, you know, coming out of the, uh, you know, this like romantic period, like reaction to the industrial revolution, people getting sure. uh, workers rights, people <laughs> getting weekends, these kinds of things. I mean, this is tourism for the longest time was really just isolated to like kings and, you know, people with like, you know, ships and lots of assistance and stuff like that. It was not yeah. something that the average person was doing. Yeah. It was like a wonderful way to be that we can, we have, you know, a lot of people have the privilege to be able to be tourists sometimes or go on tours and even a hike, you know, after work or something like that it is mm -hmm. uh, amazing that we have like literal time for that now. Um, but I mean, it's an interesting point that a lot of people take for granted is that, you know, this influx of tourists, you know, on a mass scale, uh, mm. you know, just on a simple trail, like the trail, very good example, like hiking on a trail. We, we had this, we had this interesting kind of related issue here in Oslo. Uh, it's probably still going on um, where I remember I was in a meeting one time uh, at some, uh, let's say like nature, uh, what do we call it? Nature supervisory office here in Oslo, where I was, and um, and they were talking about plans to you know create these paved paths. Oh yeah, I remember that. Maybe Kirsty yeah. talked about it. Yeah, mm -hmm. in the yeah. in the forest for people to go roller skiing. We all familiar <laughs> the roller skiing, and I was like, wait a minute, like we're gonna pave the forest so people can go roller skiing this is it and i said why are we doing this he said well josh you know you know josh skiing is very important here in norway <laughs> and and you know that is like part of our that is such an essential part of our culture and this was all in a reaction to basically climate change the fact that we have less snow in the oslo marka you know, every single year, pretty much. I mean, a lot of years we just don't have any snow to go skiing anymore. So I thought this is to me, this is like a, a you know, where a lot of this conflict of interest comes in. You know, we've got a cultural and cultural identity and almost like nationalism connected with a certain, you know, activity that uh, is not even really drawing as many tourists as more as like locals in their own environment that they're connected with. And at the same time, it's in a reaction to exactly you know, we're going to pave over the environment while the environment is like telling us mm. we can't even provide you snow anymore. Maybe you should consider yeah. a different activity. <laughs> <laughs> but it's so wrapped up in identity and stuff like that, which yeah. is uh, which is uh, which is, by the way, another interesting class that I see that you all have yeah. to take while you're here is landscapes, outdoor practices and identities. Yeah. Is that is that a course that where, where do you where do you take that class? That's provided by any whole, yeah. I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. In, in, whole, in, in Oslo. Okay, so mm -hmm. and and um, <coughs> and so I mean, 
do you uh, are you discussing any you know hot topics these days when it comes to landscape and identity what's happening on the ground <laughs> that the one I, I think one of the burning discussions in that one was the marika love Mm. um so uh, maybe uh, benny you're you're uh, looking confused i think maybe you haven't come to that <laughs> for us non uh us non uh norwegian uh listeners out there mark mark Loven is the the basically the the laws about the forests yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. around oslo specifically yeah. the ones about around oslo yeah. Yeah. okay and i think that kind of also connects with the conflicts that you've been talking about to a degree because it, this was really about the conflict between people that are interested in a sports oriented fidelis leave and mm -hmm. training um skiing and so on langland uh, um, cross-country skiing and so on and then the more kind of traditional or um the idea of sleeve on nature's term, mm. kind of more slow, more mindful, um, less technologized, less sports oriented uh, idea of sleeve And that was really clashing. People were irritated. Yeah. It was about kind of... It's the sportification of sleeve is a topic that we talked about and how yeah. people, for example, people cross-country skiers <laughs> see themselves as people who do sleeve. But it's also a sport very much for a lot of people. And being able to train on roller skis in the summer is a big part of it. And they get to go out in a forest <laughs> still. And but it's yeah, I don't know. I'm I never understood roller skiing. So for me, it doesn't make any sense. Like, but I think it touches <laughs> at this this conflict that is at the very heart of um, maybe as nature lovers, we do probably all identify with nature and being in nature, but it, there is no question that oftentimes when we are going into nature and doing our activities, we are taking, we are having an impact. Mm -hmm. And it's just a little bit heartbreaking to realize that that is actually bad for nature. The, the place and yeah, the being that you are so in love with, that's terrible. And I think, yeah, it's kind of, unfolds around that i mean i think if you like look, look at how how you can do stuff in norway at the moment it's it's actually quite quite free uh, you, you can roam around quite nicely and there's no uh, there's this uh, this thinking basically of that you can basically roam around free nature um if you look at other places uh, for example come from from like the alp alp region in germany it's kind of entrenched in your thought when you grow up there that you can't stray off the paths because that's when yes. you when you're gonna gonna hurt nature shortcuts make make uh stuff uh, go bad and stuff like that um it's just uh it's just like entrenched in the culture because there's just so so much tourism that has ha had happened here for such a long time that the end i think that um, that's a bit what uh, Norway is struggling with now, where uh, there's more and more tourists coming, and you have those. Uh, Sorry. Uh, we, we, <laughs> yeah, me as well. Like <laughs> all of us, right? But it's yeah. also, I mean, it's also just everyday life. I realized when I came to Norway, um, I visited my host sister, and because I've been a, an exchange student in Norway. Uh, back in the day long long time ago <laughs> and I visited her and I went into the forest just behind the house and I realized wow there are so many trails everywhere but they weren't actual like constructed paths for being in the forest but they just kind of looked like they had developed from people strolling in mm -hmm. as they pleased and that was so strange for me to see as a German person 
because we just have we have a very good access to the to our forests, but they're they're constructed paths, and you're supposed to stay on them. And well, that's kind of yeah, you're impacting nature in the way that you are putting a, an artificial path in it, but. Uh, but then also you don't get all of these minor small paths where you're contributing to erosion there. And so that is also something we talked about. I remember all the, the path and maintaining them and and or leaving it open. That's also a huge job being done, for example, by an organization like DNT, who manages the paths, uh, both summer and winter paths. And That's the uh, Norwegian Tourist, tourist Association. Tourist Association. Yeah. yeah. Tourists, not not as in people coming as tourists, but people going on tours as yeah. association. People, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. for for yeah. our for our non-Norwegian listeners, it's like the the organization that kind of takes care of all the trails and cabins. Yeah. Around yes, the country, around the country, yeah, the whole country of Norway. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a huge job. They were actually just looking now for somebody to to do it in one part of Norway, uh, where you go out and you look at the trails and be like, okay, this is damaging too much, and you actually. Uh, either it. map mm-hmm. added to maps or remove it from maps or uh, remove tour descriptions that include that trail to kind of ease off on nature for a while and you guide people in different areas to try and not damage too long on nature mm-hmm. but like some of the big main tracks are so famous and so big that they oh, like yeah. <laughs> you cannot remove them like they're just and if you go to some places in Jotunheim and you're walking kind of in a small and not even or not only in Jotunheim but in a lot of places you walk in kind of a small ditch because there's just like years and years and years and years of people that have been walking on that same trail mm-hmm. and you could argue that has completely like irreparably damaged nature there but people staying on the trail also ensures that you don't damage the rest of nature exactly yeah mm-hmm. like i know it's a problem they've had on uh Toltonga and on uh, mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. up to uh Stolen that people just walk off especially which is quite a long hike actually and people just wander off and you have a thousand little trails next to each other. And it's a much, 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 much bigger area. And you have tons and tons of people coming in at once. Uh, yeah. And it, it spreads out. So, I mean, yeah, it's kind of interesting too. the, just like mentioning Trolltunga and these uh, very, um, these places that they kind of uh, funnel tourists into in Norway. Uh, it's very interesting because, you know, for uh, of course, we all have lived in Norway. And, you know, I think it's, it go, it, it's pretty easy to say that you could almost close your eyes and point your finger down at any random place on the map. And you could go there and you could find trails and you could find amazing, you know, overlooks mm. and, and lakes and fjords and all kinds of stuff. But it's interesting how, especially here in Norway, they, you know, as a, if, as a tourist coming here, I meet a lot of tourists. And of course, they're always going to the same places. I'm going to Trollton, I'm, mm. I'm going to Bergen, I'm going to ride the train. And I, I almost <laughs> kind of wonder, like, because um, Norway is also kind of like Iceland in a way where like tourism is also quite new to norway in a lot of ways it's not like it's growing but it's not like you know a huge it's not like oil you know it's not like a huge <laughs> part of the economy um <laughs> and uh and um they they kind of just funnel tourists in all these places and these places you know they get really downtrodden they get really like kind of the the, the land there gets abused but it does kind of preserve the rest of the country yeah. in a way uh, yeah the I think that's a good parallel to draw to Iceland because Iceland mm-hmm. tourism is even newer than in Norway and mm-hmm. it happened 2010 after the volcanic eruption um, mm. like that there was a tourism boom and they just didn't have the infrastructure to support and they're still trying to catch up yeah but I think the Icelanders 
also kind of don't mind the tourists all going to the same places and then they kind of keep their yeah. spots to themselves so there's a lot like knowing somebody from iceland auto suddenly gives you access to like or like oh actually you should go here because like you know they know a bunch of spots that you wouldn't normally go if you come as a tourist yeah. so i think there's pluses and minuses you're damaging those areas more by sending everybody there both in norway and in iceland or in sweden or wherever it is but you're also kind of keeping the masses away from from a lot of other areas and preserving yeah, but, a lot of stuff that but i feel like people are strolling around quite a bit and i remember especially when we started talking about iceland and with the teachers and people in iceland we found out that uh, iceland has a big big problem with providing facilities for people to use uh when they have to go like yeah oh, they problem. actually said yeah people are pooping our country <laughs> like i remember that especially it came up with iceland people they were saying like we have a big problem here because people wander out in our nature and they poop everywhere and that was so curious to hear and just to hear it so full-blown in your face like wow <laughs> <laughs> that is That's crazy. a big yeah. problem in the Lofoten Islands where you had private yeah. people and you had people that were like pooping behind their sheds or like mm -hmm. next to their houses or like completely insane. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting too. I mean, let's be real, everybody. There's a lot of frozen poop on Iceland and it's not all just the <laughs> sheep, you know? Can't keep blaming it on the sheep all the time. Um, yeah. I mean, there is a lot of sheep poop. Don't yeah. get me wrong. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, and it, 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 that's another interesting thing too is like, These countries, especially in these, you know, countries that tourism is kind of a newer thing, these countries are a bit more out of the way because, I mean, you know, Norway, it, it's, you know, it's not an island, but it is quite isolated. It is on basically the end of the continent. I mean, the we have a few neighbors, you know, mostly Sweden, teeny bit of Russia, a little bit of Finland. But, you know, for the most part, we're, we're already all the way out here on the edge. So we're almost kind of like an island. And it, it, it's kind of, I think, for in many ways, like, for a long time been like the last resort third tier kind of place where people when they come to europe or something they think oh i want they think oh, i want to go to paris i want to go to london then maybe they think oh, i want to go to italy or i might go explore germany or something like that more only in more recent times i've noticed the trends of tourism increasing in these nordic countries it's getting a lot of press also a lot of time is like happiest countries in the world all yeah. kind of stuff like that <laughs> yeah. so everybody wants to go there now one thing i noticed and maybe some of you have worked in tourism noticed too is that especially when they started doing these budget long haul flights from the United States. Uh, this really changed the demographic of people that are coming. We have a lot more people coming from the United States now, at least like pre-COVID. And like, I don't know, tourism really started to peak in like 2016, 17 and 18 and 19. It was like a really big, sharp increase. Of course, yeah. now things are dying down a little bit because of COVID and things are yeah, and I think rebuilding. Also There's been, I work as I've been working as a glacier guide the last couple of years uh, in Yostadan, and there was before I actually came in because of COVID. I got a job there, weirdly enough, because of COVID, because they didn't have any tourists, so they hadn't hired anyone. Uh, and suddenly there was tourists because it opened up during the summer, and they were like panicking, panicking. So they were the people who were hired were just calling everybody they knew and be like, "Hey, do you want a job? Be here in two days." I'm like, "Okay, I'm gonna be there in two days." Um, but like. I was being told that there was a, usually the norm would be you'd have a ton of Americans and you had a lot ton of Chinese people. Mm. That would be like your two main demographics. After that, it would be like German and Dutch people, maybe. Um, 
and that changed during COVID. You just didn't get them. Uh, and suddenly you had like the season before I started, they said you could count on two hands how many Norwegians you had during a whole season. And suddenly the fir my first season, it was like 80% of the people we had were Norwegians. Um, mm -hmm. And it's actually changed the mindset of the company from catering to faraway places. Yeah. My bosses have actually decided that they're going to stop marketing in China and they're going to stop marketing in uh, in the US and they're going to focus on Northern Europe and attract yeah. people who are closer. Also, just as a glacier company, it kind of makes sense because mm -hmm. all the flights are not good for your job. Like your job is literally melting away under your feet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's <laughs> like exactly. it's, it also makes sense to start a, approaching that. And I think that's a good thing that came out of COVID to some mm -hmm. respect. Yeah. so it's yeah yeah it's very that's a very um i think that's a that's a really great way to put it the job is literally melting from under your feet i was thinking about that a little earlier when we were talking you know this whole talk is littered with sustainability but um is you know it's why it's so important that we have these discussions and why sustainability really is like a prime like it should be like the number one thing we're talking about everywhere but you know it's it's almost it's, amazing that it hasn't been talked about more up until more recent times in like the outdoor world because literally everything that we're doing you know is dependent on the sustainability of the natural environment mm. um yeah I, I i i did at least one thing i focus on a lot because i you know work in the city most of the time uh, and something i wanted to cover a little bit before we get out of here is this idea of the the peri-urban landscape mm. um which is i don't know when i did when i did a lot of my research with the teos program i focused on this free loose leave on the fringe idea mm. which is basically this area you know between like the the, the forest and the city um peri-urban i like this term actually it's kind of a new term for me which i'm really glad to see that now um yeah we had a uh, whole course on that i know yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm i'm very curious about that can can you just give our give me and our, our audience a little gist of what 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 a peri-urban landscape is and maybe some examples that you've huh. seen so, along the way peri-urban just means that it's right next to an urban area so it's nature that is I mean, the broad definition would also include something like parks or, mm -hmm. uh, for example, in Stockholm, you have a, a national park coming right down to the city and places like Oslo, you have uh, Oslo Maka and you have all these forest areas that go right down to the city and you can actually mm -hmm. take public transport right to the edge of it and go in the trails. Mm -hmm. So it's just access, but it can also, we also looked at just our class was quite health focused and the health benefits yeah. of having nature close to you. Mm -hmm. uh, and also something like sound that comes from the city and to like what that does to your nature experience. Uh, but we also had articles that have been looked at just by like what health benefits it had to, if you're biking to work every day, if you bike down a boulevard that has trees in it compared to if you take another road that doesn't. Or we had an, uh, it's one study, but there was a study on in a hospital where you had one side of a hallway that was facing the city and the other side was facing a park. And you could like measure how much faster people recovered that were on the side of the hallway that was facing the park. So that had a green view of trees and had better air coming in of their windows. And that was a lot of the part that like bringing nature back into. So having more of this peri-urban in the urban sort of bringing more nature back into to and places. This, this was especially connected to the fact that it was, it's a little bit funny after looking back at it because of COVID, but it was, especially addressing um 
health issues that are connected to non-transferable uh, disease, but disease like de or depression or um, especially connected with stress, mm -hmm. because that is kind of the number one issue that our society is dealing with right now, that a lot of people are just really impacted by the stress of everyday life. And a lot of things are medically unknown, how things work in, in the body still. Um, but you can kind of, yeah, reduce it to the stress aspect and the, yeah, the benefits that nature has in that department, basically, that, that is what it focused on quite a bit. And the um, biggest example that we got for an area that would be peri-urban was the park in, in Stockholm, which has been made a national park, if I'm not mistaken. And it's just a very massive area in Stockholm that people have access to. And uh, they were, I think, yeah. trying to, to make areas like that, national parks and urban areas, uh, or inspire that. I'm not sure if that is taking off at all. Like, yeah, yeah but then I actually went there. Yeah. Yeah, you have yeah, yeah. been there. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's actually a really nice area. And, mm. um, uh, well, in Stockholm, it has like a little bit of a special history uh, because it was like the king's garden, like the mm. or like garden in a sense from like a massive area where they were <laughs> hunting and everything. Um, and then, and then that's why they could make it a national park. They tried to use this concept for other uh, cities in Sweden, I think, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, the problem is that you're with those national uh, parks um, that you can't really change anything anymore. And uh, so there's a lot of interest groups that uh, where there's about uh, economic use of the land, where there's, mm -hmm. whether it's about touristic use of the lands that um, I don't think they have been able to to like um, make another national park anywhere mm. in, yeah. in Sweden and because there's too many interests that fight against it because then there's no because because then it becomes really rigid in what you can do in the land yeah yeah Whereas, actually in sweden i um the, the place where we have our family house that area has also become a national park and you can really see the um the boundaries of the national park they're very kind of scattered and mm -hmm just all the places that are owned by private owners they had been excluded obviously so yeah. that you, you can really see that they're struggling or that there are just certain possibilities towards yeah. making an area a national park it, it has to be free yeah. um, of owners i guess to a degree yeah. they have to agree. yeah we, we, we also like, um, uh, I don't know if you read that one, but there was this comparison about uh, the efforts in Sweden to make national parks, but then there were also efforts in Finland uh, to make uh, those kind of national parks, mm -hmm. but they were like really um, in dialogue with the communes and, and they had a lot to say in what, what was going to happen in there. Mm -hmm. And then it was way more successful there where they... Oh, that uh, makes so much sense. Yeah, where whereas the ones in Sweden were maybe more top down, this is how it should be, and then they were voted off because uh, because yeah, it, uh, there's where uh, it wasn't it wasn't uh, sustainable for the people there. Hmm. That's super yeah. interesting because that's one thing that was pointed out in Iceland as well. That also for sustainability, it's not only important to look at nature but also to include community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. exactly. Yeah, that's something that, um, you know, I, I almost feel like when I bring a lot of people on tour here, they're really amazed by like how it looks here in Oslo, for example, the fact that 
you mentioned it earlier how you know we have the forest but the forest really has fingers into the city you know mm -hmm. with these mm -hmm. rivers i mean we have i think like something like 12 rivers coming from the forest and most of these rivers you can somehow bike down or hike down almost all the way to the fjord mm -hmm. you know and it, it's not just it, like you know i mean for example we have the akashelva river in oslo they call it the green lung of oslo and it is like this 10 kilometer park that just goes through the city and that's not the only one there's all these offshoots and it's just like this big green kind of weaving big green snake different <laughs> green snakes kind of like weaving themselves through the city until you get down so i mean around every corner there's an adventure around every corner even if you're in in the city mm. and uh, it's kind of like this interesting fringe area where it's like i'm in a city but at the same time there's lots of nature around and you can ride you know one one Tabana line, one metro line, and you can, I could get off here and I could go kayaking. I could get off here and I could go fishing. I could get off here and I could go rock climbing. I can get out here and have access to 2,000 kilometers of trails where I can go skiing, mm -hmm. biking, hiking, uh, camping, wherever I want. And mm -hmm. I mean, I think it goes about saying this is something that I would like. I don't know, it's so much to learn from that when it comes to how to build a city or how to, yeah. you know, urban planning yeah. and whatnot. And um, yeah, I feel like, you know, it'd be just great to get, you know, as many kind of, uh, you know, urban planners from around the world to come hang out in Oslo and places like this. Where <laughs> I, I mean, there's definitely a lot of um, there's a lot of um, debate and there's a lot of uh, contradicting things that happen within these spaces. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a pretty good example, I think, of how you can you can just like integrate I don't know, I guess this is kind of part yeah. of like this peri-urban landscape idea, like the mm. integration of like natural areas and urban areas. Yeah, so. and, and it's so important so. to have decision makers realize that and prioritize um, natural spaces in, ur in the urban space or even, um, yeah, prioritizing people taking the bus, for example. And I remember that my brother is actually studying uh, environmental studies in Germany and has access to some really interesting people. So looking into urban design and they, they were talking about um, if you get the cars out of the cities, you actually make some space because the parking space can be used for green areas, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, so there are a lot of possibilities and it's, I'm, I really hope that some of these decisions get made um, and prior prioritization, prior, prioritized, prioritized, sorry. Yeah, no, go for it. Yeah. Uh, also, like uh, Stockholm is very much uh, or feels quite, quite the same as you described, described Oslo. Um, with like so many green spots and kind of wild spots where you can where you can climb around, hike around, anything, and I think uh, that's where like the peri-urban uh, perspective on it is like maybe one of the most important one because we so many so many people live in cities like most most of people around the world live in cities so um, when you have the possibility to uh, and uh, and you awaken to the possibilities which what your city has have to use in nature. You can also just like use your nature that you have where where you are, and um, and don't have to go somewhere uh, and fly somewhere um, which is less sustainable, and and where you maybe don't know how to act and everything, and that's I think where the no free program also does maybe a cool service because there's so many people from so many different countries, so mm -hmm. um, 
learning about those perspectives, learning about Friedrichslief and um, yeah, maybe going back to their countries and uh, and learning how to apply those. I can, I've lived in Cologne for, for a couple of years in Germany and there's, and we had actually a course about Friedrichslief there and it, it opened up uh, a lot more perspective on how to, because there's, there's a lot of, a lot of forest in the city. They have like a whole like belt of, uh, of forest uh, in the city. But it's like kind of used, but uh, <laughs> there's there's a lot more that you can that you can think about there, and uh, that recreation-wise, um, where where it goes back to the uh, public health fac factor, uh, I think there's so many possibilities where we can actually learn from uh, from uh, cities like Oslo and uh, the perspective yeah, of Trelleborg. I think just one of the greatest strengths in general of the no free program is that the groups at least our group and your group also are just so diverse mm. people come from everywhere to do this and that's so cool. it's such a nice thing to see because if you can spread these tendencies and have more urban planning like bring it back to their own countries and make an effort to like make it a thing that people start thinking like this spread the message a little bit right then it's mm. that would be great and you just you get so much more out of stuff like this when it's when when you get these outside perspectives and you get so many different perspectives on peri-urban friedhofsleeve and you suddenly you get people from germany you have people from belgium you have people from france denmark finland sweden norway i mean in your class you have from canada you have from us you have from algeria like it, it's from everywhere and it starts becoming like sort of a movement i guess mm -hmm. and i think that's one of the biggest strengths of, of the no free program and like and something it really can bring one really cool thing that came out of the corona uh, pandemic and the fact that we couldn't go to sweden at least our group uh, we had a very very smart teacher who worked with that very well <laughs> um and he made us explore the places that we were in by using his approaches and place responsiveness, ideas coming from that. And that was super interesting because we then made some video clips and shared our experiences in the different places that we were in. And it was super sad, of course, that we couldn't be together, but that way we really explored some of our home um, areas with these new ideas. And that was just incredibly valuable. Yeah, that that's really. I mean, <clears throat> that's fantastic. I'm I'm a huge fan of adventures around the corner. You know, what I mean, I think yeah. I think these are some of the most important. I mean, that's why I, you know we have these kind of classical romantic images of what it means to be outdoors and going out into the wilderness and all this stuff. But let's be real: on a daily basis, most people live in urban areas, like hmm. in the world. Uh, most people uh, don't have uh, the time or the finances or whatever the privilege to go to all kinds of faraway places and like meditate on a mountain somewhere you know far away <laughs> we have to we, we gotta see you know look at where we are in our space and and what we can what we can do there what adventures are possible you know and okay. um, so that's a pretty 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 amazing uh little uh, plug uh to kind of wrap it up a bit uh with the norfree program i mean um I think uh, I think uh, I think in respect to time, we'll probably wrap it up soon. But I just wanted to uh, maybe I would I would be really interested to talk to everybody again sometime more deeply into like your individual research interests and projects. Yeah. But um, cool. but um, but uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, but in general, it sounds like uh, in general, it sounds like the future of the No Free Program 
is strong, or at least of the people uh, that are studying it right now, this direction of sustainability and then disseminating all of that, what we like, <laughs> kind of learned here in the Nordic countries, the happiest countries in the world, you know, uh, back to our home countries where, or, or other countries, wherever they may be. Um, actually, it, w just for people listening, what, what do you have any idea what the future of the Norfree program is? Will it continue for a while? Can it's, listeners out there jump in if they want to? Yeah. Still? It's a bit uncertain, but mm. if if there are people listening to this that are interested, do like please do contact USN, uh, USN yeah, the or even the other universities. They'll pass you on, but like the University of Southern Norway, yeah, we'll Southeastern Norway, yeah. Mm. Con contact and, and make inquiries because they are the the program was funded for three years, yes. so we have one more year starting, but it's unsure how many like due to application processes and something like the people in charge don't actually know how many students they're getting next year. And they have to fill the class to be approved for more money for more mm. for longer term. And so it's a bit uncertain how much yeah. longer this program And as far on. as we know, there had been a lot of applications, but a lot of people are not um, qualified in the end. And that, so that mm. always reduces the number of people to a little bit lower number than they actually would have had to yeah, yeah would have. you say uh like because i think a lot of people listening they might say like oh well okay that sounds a little shaky because i remember we had this issue in my program too i think we went on for six years we had funding for and a lot of people say oh it sounds a little shaky i don't know if i want to get a degree in something that's gonna like you know just be mm. but i mean who are the, like like who are the, like um the people like from what backgrounds do people come uh, kind of like employ like what kind of jobs are people working in, oh. or where are they where are they coming from like how can this be you know applicable maybe mm. i mean we had uh a few that were teachers mm -hmm. yeah. uh, i came straight from a background in friluslev i had mm. the, the bachelor's in friluslev and where has been working as a guide and doing stuff like that but i was the only one who had that and then but we, we had have a lot designer, of geographers geographers and yeah. we had right. uh, people who work with special needs education and we had uh a, des a designer even and you yeah. had people who work in different kind of like um but, camp different camp stuff and yeah. you have what else a lot have? of educational background mm. i would say then we have a tour background mm, uh, and then we have this interestingly enough geography background which and makes sense i'm science. also a geography teacher um mm. yeah and sports science yeah, most mm, of I think these are the biggest science. kind of areas and you guys have been in your i think we have Mostly have, have like sports. sports and health backgrounds. So we mm. have a physi physiotherapist as well. Yeah. It's like actually quite, I'm not quite sure how so many people couldn't qualify because it's, I, I feel like it's super, super diverse. I think they wanted a sports background okay. somehow. And, yeah. but I'm not sure if they had discussed the qualifications. Yeah. I think they, I'm not I, sure how it works. I feel yeah. like also like I think this year it's more broader the background that yeah. you can have. I think yeah, it makes sense. I think you. I, I feel. Like I feel like yeah. you can have a really really broad background. Uh, it is, what, what you have. It's uh, useful for so many people. It's a subject of a way to study that you can merge with basically anything. Mm -hmm. Like you can combine it with anything you have before and you can yeah. get something out of it. And you can use it in urban planning. You can use it in previously mm -hmm. introducing it in. I mean. IT solutions for that matter and starting thinking how can we incorporate these things and then you're in the peri-urban that thing again like it's in tourism it can be teaching it can be like anything you want you can include these at least the thought processes that go on and the way of thinking can be applied so 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 many places and it's I mean such interesting people go into it it's really good teachers 
and you get to see and live in some really, really cool places. Yeah, so and one thing I want to point out as well is that program really offers space for you to come in, in as an individual and take from it what you are interested in. So you are really encouraged to read the things that you are interested in. You get really, really amazing tips as well for what is relevant to you. Because if you if you come in with a certain kind of angle and question, yeah, you can find your answers. That is super, super intriguing. Mm-hmm. Just a like variety of master's theses that are being written now or is just... Yeah. It's like it's very broad spectrum, but it's broad spectrum in a good way. Not that you get a vague education, but that there's mm. possibilities for people to do what they're interested in within yeah. this framework. Yeah. And you have teachers that are come from different places and have different ideas and can guide you towards and oh, you should read this, you should read this, study more. This. Like so, the, it's, the there's teachers, a lot of options. A lot the of possibilities teachers are also very interested in our perspectives and ideas so it's really just kind of like it's such a big learning process for everyone a learning curve on their own kind of level and own background which makes it such an incredible experience and it's uh like compared to a lot of like i know a lot of people who are studying law or who are studying medicine or studying and it's such ginormous groups in big universities mm-hmm. we are smaller groups yeah, but we you get to 12. know you get to know your teachers super well and you get a whole other level of education to some degree because you get on a personal level with your teachers you get to know them you get to influence by these people and you get to meet them as people not just as a lecturer standing 50 meters away at the bottom of a lecture hall mm-hmm. and that's a huge 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 benefit i would say yeah this it sounds amazing and I, uh, that's what I, I really like the sound of it it reminds me quite a bit of the program that i did where mm-hmm. we had you know people who were political science uh people we had people who were majored in tourism we had people who were also like geographers urban planners a lot of educators uh, people who are into, you know, theater and the arts and whatnot. So it, it, the a program like this is almost like a hub, almost like mm-hmm. a big th- uh, think tank for like two yeah. years. You get in with a bunch of other people yeah. and you you go through this also incredible journey, incredible experience together with other people, but also like individually. And there is, it is centered around this theme of free loose leave or outdoors and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But I would say, I don't know about your program, but um, just uh, one one issue we had in uh, my program was the fact that the only people that were maybe a little bit uh, off put at first by the this type of program were people that we're expecting to come and actually get like uh outdoor like skills uh mm. outdoor like like we, we of course we did lots of journeys and we did a lot of outdoor uh, outdoor activities and experiences and whatnot but at the end of the day the main focus was on the kind of like theoretical yeah. issues it's, of these things it's the same for our program it's yeah. theory based it's theory heavy Mm-hmm. Uh, it's incredibly interesting theory and we've done a lot of stuff on our own yeah. mm-hmm. and then I think we were unlucky in the fact that we did it during COVID so it's mm-hmm. especially our year was even more halted like we never went to Sweden it was completely online mm-hmm. like nobody was in Stockholm so we missed the stuff all the other guys have done in Sweden and I think even they were limited by COVID mm-hmm. and some of the stuff we were supposed to do in Norway was cancelled and we had to organize another trip that we could do instead and like yeah. so it, it's been limited by that, but people who would be interested have to realize that it's a it's theory, it's a theoretical thing, it's thinking, it's 
evolving the the theoretical field within Philips Liu. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a program that gives you a ton of opportunities to do stuff on your own. And you have teachers. I know you guys, uh, Benny in, uh, in Sweden, there's a teacher who took you guys out climbing, took you guys stuff. And the teachers here in Bury are super helpful if you need to tips to go anywhere or tours to go on. And there's, especially in Bury, there's the, all the people in the bachelors and all the people doing fellows. There's a big community that you can integrate into. And, you can you have options to do so many things, like you said, um, mm-hmm. Josh. That like there's just a ton of op- options to do it on your own, but it's not integrated into it's a it's a theoretical program. For yeah. Sure. yeah, and the teacher were teachers were also open for um, us pushing a little bit towards well, actually um, incorporating what they teach and going outside for it. You know, like even if we were philosophizing about things we we were outside and we were even allowed to um yeah have some bigger input in creating a week that was actually supposed to be in oslo and i know you're going to participate a little bit in it josh as well um where where the no free group is coming to oslo for a week that was not possible during covid last year Mm. so we were allowed to create something ourselves where we went to up to lifian the the mountain area here in boo and we went on a on a journey there kind of exploring ideas and um yeah in a practical way but we also had some seminars and that was amazing that was just super interesting what came out of that kind of practical theoretical approach Mm -hmm. um so there's a lot of openness also also in, on that matter mm. yeah but, but but it is definitely not like an outdoor skill master like no, no. it's not that, yeah. that, that's just you have you have to know that before you and come. you have to yeah. do the bachelor's with which yeah. some people are also considering now <laughs> going well, back yeah, to the bachelor's. it sounds weird but you can easily do a bachelor's after a master's degree yeah it's not it's like it's not wrong to do that i think i mean if you're interested in that i can highly recommend going to the difficult of series bachelor in Bru. you just have to know yeah. norwegian for that yeah mm. that, yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. And then of course, or wherever you, wherever you study around the world, there's a, there's a ton, there's actually, there's so many outdoor like education programs now where it's almost kind of, this is like next level kind of stuff. What you, what, what you all are studying what we studied in my program. This is like, yeah. Okay. You, you're familiar with, if you're really interested in like outdoor skills and that kind of stuff, this is, this theoretical stuff is, can be applied to that and more and mm. all kinds of aspects of whatever you do. And that's kind of it. And just to bring it back around, that's kind of the theme of this podcast really is, you know, no matter who you are, no matter what you're doing, we all need to kind of work together for oh, yeah. a more sustainable world. So if you're a teacher, if you're a lawyer, if you're an artist, like whatever you're doing, like, you know, we have to direct it. And a, a pro, I like to highlight this program because I think a program like this really um, emphasizes the idea of attacking the issue from all sides. So, <laughs> yeah. So, hey, everybody, uh, like I said, I'd love to talk again sometime and get more involved, uh, more in depth on your individual research interests and projects that you're working on, because I think we could probably talk about this forever. Um, but uh, I think we'll wrap it up today. And um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. And is, is there anything anybody else wants to say or, or do you have anything you want to promote or anything uh, to uh, to the listeners before we before we call it a day here? Uh, I just really want to um, say thanks for having us. And yeah. I really, really yes. appreciate your uh, podcast. I've been listening 
for a while. One of our um, yeah, co-students pointed it out to us and you have had some very, very interesting guests and it's been just a very good help to get an overview in this um, academic world as well and just the outdoor world and Friluftsliv thoughts. Just it's so nice to hear people that you have maybe read texts from, mm. you know, hear them talk. Uh, in a conversation and uh, so that was just very interesting and inspiring and I think it's exactly what we need we need to come together um, to attack these or approach these issues so mm -hmm. you're really making a, a good effort towards that and I want to applaud you for it <laughs> thanks for, thanks for listening yeah thanks for listening yeah. and uh yeah I appreciate the feedback and it's nice to hear that yeah people are listening and benefiting mm. from that yeah. that was always kind of the idea too the idea is you know we can read about this stuff. It might take 10 years to get published or something like that, but you know, yeah. we can call each other up and talk about it right now. <laughs> so it's yeah. a, wow, yeah. what's happening. Yeah. And if any listeners contact you about the program, just like feel free to pass them on to us and we'll get them talking to the right people. That's Definitely. great. Yeah, fantastic. Um, well, hey, thanks everybody uh, for uh, for coming on the show today. Now you are uh, three more uh, amazing voices talking about these issues on the podcast. All right, everybody, and we're back. And thanks so much for sticking around through the entire episode. I really enjoyed that conversation with Benjamin, Birta, and Niels from the Norfree program. That's the Nordic Masters in Friluftsliv Studies program based in Iceland, Norway, and Sweden. So thanks so much for coming on and talking about that and just jogging around all the different ideas uh, in this wild world of transcultural, transnational, international Friluftsliv studies. Um, and for more information about that, you can just check in the description of this podcast if you're interested in that program. Um, and, you know, it got me thinking, because, you know, we talk about Friluftsliv a lot, and I I share this idea of Friluftsliv. I pass it on to a lot of the, the people that uh, come on my tours, for example. Pretty much every day we're talking about Friluftsliv. So it really is an everyday part of my life. Uh, not just uh, as someone that is engaging and connecting with the outdoors, but also um, as working as an educator. And, you know, one thing I was thinking is many people say, oh, I'm from Germany, I'm from United States, I'm from India, I'm from all, anywhere in the world. People are connecting with nature. We're connecting with nature uh, all around the world. What is so special about this free loose leave that you speak of here in Norway or here in the Nordic countries? Yeah, some people uh, will ask me this. And, you know, the, the, what I think about that is that, you know, here in Norway, um, there's a particular mentality of free loose leave that is kind of integrated into everyday life. So everything from the way that the cities are being designed to the healthcare system, to the social welfare system, to the education system, uh, everything has this bit of nature woven throughout. And I think this is something that, um, you know, societies around the world can draw from. And I'm not saying Norway and the Nordic countries are the only places in the world that are doing this, but they have kind of branded themselves as places that are doing this, which I find is quite interesting. It's, you know, from a tourism perspective, as we talked a lot about in this podcast today, it is something that also attracts people 
uh, uh, to come visit Norway, to come and experience Norway and the Nordic countries is this idea of nature connection. So it could be really uh, a key marketing tool. Maybe we had some good branding specialists come in and market these countries that way to the outside. But nonetheless, I think you do see it every day living here in real life, how nature isn't very integrated part of society. And that's something that I think would be, you know, very interesting to come out of programs like this is how to kind of pass that around to the rest of the world. How can we uh, inject uh, nature connection? How can we inject nature design into or designing around nature? We have that, that famous quote here, nature is the home of culture. I believe it was Arna Ness that said that, but don't quote me 100% on that. Um, Arna Ness, the great eco-philosopher. Um, and he said, nature is the home of culture. So I guess that's the question we can leave with. How can we make nature the home of culture everywhere? How can we focus on nature, keep nature in mind, no matter what we're doing, no matter where we're going, no matter uh, what we are making? That's kind of the mission of this podcast is uh, how can we attack or approach this idea of sustainability from all sides, from all angles, not just in recreational activities or after school programs or fun things to do on the weekend or something to do on your vacation. You all want to go get back to nature. How can we just be here in nature right now all day, every day, or at least as, as much as possible? through everything that we do, how can we work together with nature as co-teacher, nature as co-worker, nature as co-lawyer, nature as co-builder, co-architect. This is what I'm wondering. This is kind of what, at least for me, as someone that's studying this stuff, talking about this stuff and working in this world, this is what I think about a lot. So anyways, thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in today. Thank you, Birta, Benjamin, and Niels once again for joining us today. And please, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Please give us a review on wherever you listen to podcasts. And please head on over to transnaturalpod.com where you can find out more about how to support this podcast. Leave us comments, send us emails, let us know if you want to come on the show or you have a topic that you'd like to suggest and find out other ways that you can support the show. Uh, we always really appreciate that if you can help out. So anyways, this is Josh, everybody, and these are my transnatural perspectives for today. I hope you had a good time. And until next time, get outside and get some perspective.